Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You're listening to What's the Crack? And today I'm interviewing Tony Duffin, the CEO of the Analyphy Drug Project in Dublin, Ireland. In today's episode, me and Tony discuss the Analyphy Drug Project, their successful lobbying story for supervised injection facilities in Ireland, and we find out what's the crack with their work towards decriminalization. I hope you enjoy the episode and remember to follow us on Twitter at WhatTheCrackPod. Tony, could you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? Okay, well, uh, it's uh, it, uh, Tony Duffin, uh, as you said. Uh, I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Analytic Drug Project. Uh, where I'm based in Dublin, but we, we have services in, in, in Dublin and in the Midwest of Ireland, so uh, based out of Limerick City. The Analyphy is, is, a, is a harm reduction service, a low threshold harm reduction service. That's our, that's our ethos. But we were established in 1982. We're a charity, an NGO. And um, yeah, we, we have around 35 staff. We have 35 staff and around the same number of volunteers at any one time. So there's around 70 of us involved. Um, we provide services to around 2,000 people each year. We would provide uh, low threshold, meaning that we um, have very low expectations of people in terms of accessing our service. So what I mean by that is is that is that we, we don't have huge criteria, high criteria for entry, and we don't bar anybody from all of our services. So we work with people who are actively addicted, who have complex and multiple needs. Um, and by harm reduction, well, I think it's quite a common term now. It wasn't always, but it is now. Um, we, we work to ameliorate the, 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 the difficulties and the problems that people might have associated with their, with their drug use and indeed other parts of their, their, their lives. So that's, that's our ethos. Uh, in, terms, in terms of our services, what do we do? Uh, well, we provide fixed site services and, and, and outreach services. The fixed site services would be um, places like our drop-in service in, in Abbey Street, Middle Abbey Street in Dublin and access services. It can be the first point of contact for people. So engagement with people is very, very, very important to, to, to us and to our work. Um, maintaining a relationship is, is the key to, I suppose, positive change in people's lives when, when they're ready. If there's no, if there's no relationship, then, then really it's much harder to, 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 to help people and to, and to help them make positive choices. So there's a lot of good work going on at the front line, we also work with people who who are, you know, not considered to be 
um, you know, uh, problematic drug users. So, um, so recreational drug users. We do work, and we would do work welfare services at uh, music festivals like the Electric Picnic. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's a, an addiction service with a low threshold harm reduction ethos. Okay, great, thank you. So Anna Liffey successfully lobbied the Irish government for the implementation of supervised injection facilities. Could you explain what supervised injection facilities actually are? It's a type of drug consumption room. So it's a safe space for people to go to to inject the drugs that they would have been injecting themselves anyway. Um, the, the model that we've gone for in Ireland is uh, doesn't provide... Um, uh, the drugs that people will be injecting. So you, you, you can have a situation where people are provided with diamorphine, for example. But in Ireland, what we've what we've gone for in Ireland is the model where, uh, similar to the one in, in Sydney and, and uh, in Vancouver and, and in other jurisdictions, but there are two that spring to mind, similar to the, to the models there where people will uh, bring the drugs that they that, to the centre and they will uh, be able to access safe equipment and a safe space use those drugs and make sure that they ultimately leave uh, well and alive. So I'm just curious, we did a podcast last year on supervised injection facilities and we actually called them drug consumption rooms. Is there a reason why different names are chosen for the same facility? Yeah, it's the same principle, except that in a drug consumption room, you you will almost, I mean, the way that the reason they're described as drug consumption rooms, uh, people will be allowed uh, to not only inject drugs, but to smoke drugs as well and prepare drugs in other ways. Uh, in a say in a supervised injection facility, it's we'll get into what why I suppose I suppose get into it now really. We we chose uh, to lobby for a supervised injection facility because uh, particularly in Dublin. Um, there is a very serious uh, injecting culture. Um, so street-based injecting is is all over the city. And um, and when we were lobbying, we were setting out uh, back in 2000 and at the beginning of 2012, um, it really wasn't on the agenda. And to get it onto the agenda, we felt that to explain to people what we were trying to achieve, we wanted to, we wanted to uh, address the most harmful um, route of administration, which is injecting, it's not only harmful to the people that are using on the streets, but it's very uh, disconcerting and concerning for everybody involved who might be living or working or uh, in, in, in the city centre or visiting the city centre. Uh, but also, it's, uh, it's a huge burden on emergency um, services, um, for, like obviously ambulances, but also uh, the Gardaí, the Irish Police Force, um, or, or indeed, uh, fire brigades get called out, uh, you know, to, to overdoses in the streets. Um, so, all of that, you know, you, when you open up a supervised injection facility, what happens is you you you, you prevent um, people going upstream through the, through these kind of um, pre-hospital emergency care services. Um, you, you you address the, the the issues earlier, keeping them safe and and well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're a great idea. Um, so this may be more me, but I feel like there's more talk around supervised injection facilities lately, potentially due to the opioid crisis in North America. But you started way back in 2012 lobbying the Irish government. This feels quite ahead of the game, or is that just my perspective? 
Uh, I think, I mean, I remember, I remember back in around 2000, around 2004, I think it was, or maybe 2002, there was, there was a, there was a, a, a publication in Ireland from the National Advisory Committee on Drugs, uh, and they, they were looking at harm reduction interventions, and, and they, one of the outcome around um, drug consumption rooms was that there wasn't enough evidence back then, uh, and it was really kind of, uh, boxed off as you know we'll have to wait and see what what we're going to do so i mean i've been working in in this field since 1993 um it makes complete sense to me to allow people to take drugs safely um uh if they you know people that were going to take those drugs anyway out in the public domain um and i guess so what i suppose what i'm saying is is that it's always been there and discussed but back in 2011 when we were drafting our strategic plan at the Analyphy. Uh, we we had been to so many. When I say we, I mean our, our team here uh, had been to so many um, funerals over the years uh, of people who had died in the streets or in homeless hostels or in prisons of overdoses or a home or whatever um, that that we really needed to try and do something. We we run a drop in centre already. We have active drug users, people who use that drugs um, uh, coming in. Um, we don't allow people to take drugs. This is a challenge for anybody who provides uh, a day service or a residential service for people who use drugs. The truth is, is that um, you, you don't allow people to inject on your premises. You don't allow people to take drugs, but they do. And the, the truth is, is that um, the service where, where you don't have supervised injection facilities or drug consumption rooms, what you end up with is uh, the services on the ground uh, taking up the slack for the lack of proper services. So, so drop-in services and day services and homeless services end up having to manage this very difficult situation when, in fact, if you give somewhere, somewhere safe to go to use drugs, then everybody is safer, not just the person but the staff and the people who live in the area. So it's a, it's a no-brainer for, for me. When The reason that we went to... To look at, uh, sorry, to, to lobby to, and to advocate for um, supervised injections back in 2012 was, as I said, um, the amount of people that, that we saw every day who were injecting. Um, and we had a very serious uh, poly drug use problem um, uh, that had emerged over the years. Heroin has always been a, a problem in, in Ireland since the early 80s, uh, and it remains a problem. Um, but now we have a very serious poly drug use problem. And so when, when we talk about people coming in to inject drugs, we're talking about any drug that they bring in. Um, and obviously the staff would intervene to make sure they were safe if they do overdose. But, but the point being is back in 2012, that's what we were looking to achieve. We wanted to set out and, and, and go and convince people, I guess, of the evidence that was very strong by this stage and uh, uh, from particularly from, from Sydney uh, had, had, a, had a massive amount of, of data uh, and evidence and research that, that we could tap into. And um, so there, 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 was, there was great examples. At the time, I think there was, there was around 90. Now there's over 100 uh, sites across the globe of, of, of types of drug consumption rooms. Um, so we, we, we really wanted to achieve that. But back then, it was, it was controversial still. It was the, the idea of it, it, was, it was not going to happen. You know, it, we, we were facing an uphill struggle. Yeah, I can imagine that there's been some backlash. The name Supervised Injection Facility doesn't really sit well, and I've heard some groups trying out different names to make it more palatable for the general public. 
But back in 2012, how were the general public? Was it initially hard to get people on your side? I, I can't say that there was an enormous backlash um, in in much in many ways, you know, people. I think people trusted the analithi. We'd been around for some time, and they they trusted what we were saying. So we had to get the evidence together and to convince people. And I have to say, um, we didn't have many detractors. Not many. Um, there were there were a handful, uh, and they were consistent over the time while we were lot where we were advocating for. The, um, the 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 legislation um, and they were uh, a particular group of businesses uh, representative groups and uh, uh, a handful of Dublin city councillors uh, who 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 didn't want uh, to see this service established. So generally speaking, yes, there was um, you know you know when you put things up online uh, through perhaps through through uh, a, a news site or whatever, you get comments back. Um, there was there was a mixed bag of comments coming back over the years, but but increasingly we started to see the uh, sentiment uh, change. People as we began to explain the evidence, and I guess that was really important. What we did was we we had to make sure we knew our case, that we um, that we knew the the arguments both for and against, uh, and we did that, and we got uh, position papers together, and. Uh, we had a uh, a legal opinion sought, and we had that done uh, by by a barrister that we instructed had instructed, and we got all that information together, and um, and we we we, sh- we we shared everything, and we spoke to to everybody, and we engaged with all our stakeholders that that we could that we could identify. We engaged with the media, uh, really engaged with the media. We didn't really have much of a, a, a public profile back. Uh, in 2012, we, we had engaged on occasion, but we tended to not engage with the media. So in 2014, around February time, we, we, we came off the blocks and we started to, to engage really proactively with uh, and reactively uh, to, 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 you know, to, to, to stories. And then, of course, as I said to you at the beginning of this, we, we were trying to do something that never, we'd, ne- we'd certainly never done before. It had never been done before in Ireland. Um, and so we needed help. And we reached out to, to, to various uh, stakeholders over the course of, um, of the years as we were trying to find a way. Every time we met a hurdle, we had to try and get over a hurdle. But I suppose I think the lesson here is about problem solving and reaching out for help. And, uh, and and aiming and aiming high and and, and being uh, tenacious, sticking sticking with it. It took us uh, five years, three months, and twenty seven days uh, from the moment we launched our strategic plan on the twentieth of January two thousand and twelve to when the legislation was enacted. So you know you have to stick with it and 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 really believe in what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm interested, mainly because I can't think of any reasons on the spot right now, but what were the arguments against supervised injection facilities? Because you said that people were against it and that you had to prepare counterpoints to those that were against it. But with all this great evidence that it will help the people who use drugs and it will help the services such as the police and the ambulance that are actually overrun, what were the arguments against it? Okay, so yeah, well, I mean, to, from my perspective, not much. Okay, the evidence is very strong, but but the evidence can be. We all know that evidence can be read differently, and that, and and the detractors looked to the evidence uh, and used it differently. So we never said that we would solve all uh, public injecting. Okay, we we always talked about reducing 
public injecting and managing the situation better in the public domain. But that was kind of turned on its head to say, well, it doesn't reduce public, it doesn't solve public injecting. Do you know what I mean? So that, that, that's, that's the kind of thing you might, you might face. You can't argue with the fact that, 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 supervising, that, that drug consumption rooms, there's never been a death in one, even though there's been, um, oh God, who knows how many uh, times people have consumed drugs in supervised injection facilities or indeed drug consumption rooms. There's never been a death. So people couldn't argue, argue with that. Um, they, I suppose people were concerned um, about, they would say things like that they, they don't achieve their outcomes, uh, but, but we were able to, to bat these things back uh, and explain that we were never try we, we, we can't that we can't solve drugs in society we simply can't solve it all we can ever do is manage us better and supervised ingestion facilities achieve what they're set up to do if you want to um, reduce public injecting um, if you want to prevent overdose deaths if you want to get through people through to treatment and rehabilitation faster than otherwise um, so if you want to save taxpayers money, right, because actually there's plenty of evidence to say to say that by, by providing a service like this, you save money elsewhere. For, as I described to you earlier, further up the stream, you, you, um, A&E uh, is, a, is a very expensive service to, to, to use. Uh, ambulance services are very expensive, policing, etc., etc. So you save money and there's great evidence of that. Um, but I think the... the there wasn't much, uh, I suppose that people would talk about that it wouldn't address drug markets, for example. It wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, stop the violence and all this sort of thing, or, and it, or it doesn't stop people uh, taking drugs. Um, and that's not the purpose of a supervised injection facility. It's a treatment service. It's a health service. It's a service that targets people who are, who are injecting in the public domain um, and and or want to come in and inject safely because actually um, you don't have to be uh, just injecting in public. Some people who inject at home uh, actually want to come down because there's no one back at home and they might be frightened of overdose or whatever, so they might come in. But the point being is is that they they achieve what they're set up to do, but detractors tend to look for um, other issues that they're not established to, to, to address. Um, oh, I suppose the other thing is is that that, that people so some people simply don't like the idea. Um, they it's a more of a moralistic uh, approach uh, uh, argument, and you cannot. Uh, my experience is is that you can't change some people's minds when they when they morally uh, disagree with with with, the, with with allowing people to 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 take drugs safely. Um, that's that's a real difficult one to to. to to change people's minds on. Yeah, absolutely. That that is interesting. Okay, so moving on, you have also mentioned that you're now working towards decriminalization in Ireland. Uh, because the word decriminalization is slightly confusing because we generally work in a dichotomy of prohibition or legalization and decriminalization doesn't really sit on either of these camps. Could you start by briefly explaining what decriminalization is? and why you think it's the right choice for Ireland. Sure. Uh, well, I suppose firstly to say that, that yeah, we've already talked about language around supervised injection facilities, but here we are, and it's probably important to talk about language again. Decriminalisation does confuse people. Uh, it, it, for many people, uh, who, who you know, people don't always think about drug policy, right? They, they, it's, 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 it's a specialist area. 
Um, and when you hear decriminalisation, for many people, it sounds like legalisation. But it's not legalisation, and it's obviously not prohibition. And and in many ways, we're, we're trying to avoid, you know, not avoid using the term, because it, but, but I suppose try not to use it because it confuses people. So we're talking about a health-led response to the possession of drugs for personal use. It's it's more wordy, but that's what it is. Um, it's the idea that that people who uh, that, that people would not uh, be criminalised for being in possession of small amounts of drugs because the evidence is is that it's 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 uh, counterproductive. Uh, I guess uh, Portugal is the one that's always is, is the country that's always shown as a good example, and it's it's bandied around a lot. But genuinely, it is a good example. Um, since two thousand and one. They've had decriminalisation there and they've had some amazing outcomes. But I guess uh, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, <clears throat> it's the idea, certainly in the Portuguese model, the, the police aren't looking to arrest people for drug possession. They're looking for drug dealers and that's what they're interested in. If they come, if people come to the attention of the police uh, and uh, for other behaviour and are found to have drugs on them, then the drugs uh, possession is dealt with by going to a dissuasion committee. Uh, and the criminal uh, behaviour or the alleged criminal behaviour, let's say a fight or, or stealing or whatever it might be, is dealt with through the courts. So it's, it's pushing the two apart and saying possession is more of an administrative thing, right? It, it, uh, yes, they, they give out a small fine and offer health interventions. And their experience is, is fantastic. I mean, they've seen, you know, small increases in reported, reported on illicit drug use amongst adults. Uh, reduction in illicit drug use amongst uh, adolescents since 2003. They've had a reduced burden of drug offenders on the criminal justice system. They've reduction in the prevalence of intravenous, uh, sorry, injecting drug use. Uh, they've got a reduction in opiate-related deaths and infectious diseases. Um, and indeed, just on the overdose deaths in, in Portugal, they had 40 deaths in 2015. Uh, and they have... 10.36 million people, right? Uh, and in Ireland, in the same year, we had 348 overdose deaths, and yet we only have 4.67 million people. So we have less than half their number, but we have hundreds more overdose deaths. I was thinking as well, in Portugal, before they decriminalised, they had high rates of heroin use and opioid use and overdose, which from what you've been saying is similar to Ireland's situation right now. Does decriminalisation fit more with Ireland because of what we've seen with Portugal? Is it a more fitting solution for this issue at hand? Yeah, well, I think I think decriminalisation is part of a, is part of the way of managing the as I said to you. I've always said solution. It's not a solution. Managing yeah. the situation better. They had a hundred thousand in Portugal. They had a hundred thousand heroin users uh, in in two thousand around around two thousand, and now they have around fifty thousand. So so they've half the number of people in their population that are using heroin. And part of that is to do with things like you know the reduced stigma of drug users, people being able to come forward and not feeling like a criminal to get help. Um, and so and so yes, yeah, so they've had a, they've had a lot of they've had a lot of um, uh, positive outcomes. Uh, they don't have uh, drug consumption rooms there. They've had legislation for it for some time, uh, but but they they had uh, they are getting them soon. They're about to establish them uh, drug consumption rooms. And uh, uh, actually, it's interesting because, as I said, in two thousand and fifteen, they had uh, forty overdose deaths, but in two thousand and sixteen, they had twenty seven overdose deaths. So they were coming down. 
and they're still not happy. And they're introducing the supervised uh, the drug consumption rooms because they that as part of a measure to get those deaths down even further. It's fantastic. Like I mean, it really values human life. Um, so that so that's great. Um, it's not that decriminalisation in itself is a silver bullet. It's part of that idea of managing the situation better, as I said. Um, you do need, uh, you know, health services and social services and housing and all those things to be in place. Now, I can't think of any jurisdiction that doesn't have deficits in all those areas, right? Um, Portugal has deficits in, the, in those areas too. But I do, so Ireland has, you know, job schemes, health services, social services, uh, addiction treatment services. We have all those things, but what we don't do is have a health-led response to the possession of drugs for personal use. And I think that is going to uh, have a huge impact on our on our population, on, on keeping people alive uh, uh, and well and getting them through to treatment and rehabilitation and other healthier choices sooner. Uh, one of the things about decriminalisation, I suppose it's, it's important to mention, is, is that it's not all about problematic drug users. It, is, it, it, it equally applies to people who are recreational drug users it is. I was in the dissuasion committee in Lisbon. I went up there. Uh, it's shameful enough to have to come up to the dissuasion committee. Uh, uh, it's it's inconvenient, and you have to be assessed by somebody, uh, and uh, who will decide whether you uh, have a problem or non-problematic drug use. And you know, and it is a and it is a dissuasion because actually the hundred uh, you know of the people that. Uh, go to dissuasion committee in Lisbon, only 15, one five, 15 percent uh, reappear in front of them, which is which is a fantastic uh, uh, outcome in terms of recidivism. You know, I'll give you a quick quote from Charles Hawhey, uh, a former Taoiseach, uh, Prime Minister of Ireland. And he said, we have had to recognise that very often people committing these offences are not guilty of criminal activity in the normal sense but perhaps are people who require medical care and attention rather than punishment. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
this was back before when they were considering the Misuse of Drugs Act. The Misuse of Drugs Act, uh, in the last 41 years, we've seen, we've seen our overdose deaths increase. We've seen drugs uh, become more available. Uh, they're more potent than ever before. Uh, we've got people, there was a statistic mentioned the other day uh, in Ireland where 70% of people who are going into our prisons uh, have an addiction-related issue. Um, so, you know, if you, were, if you were back in 1971 and said to the community, listen, we're going to implement this policy and we're going to have see more harm and more death and more drugs, what do you think? I think they would have said, go back and think again. <laughs> so we need to do something about it. And the thing we need to do is to have a health-led response to the possession of drugs for personal use. Because for me, as a harm reductionist, somebody who's worked in the field for 25 years, um, the mo one of the key things here is destigmatizing people so that they can come forward when they're ready to, to seek help. Or, or indeed, they don't even have to come forward to a service. They can ask their friends and family for help much more easy, easily. You know? So that's, that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. So there are some drawbacks with decriminalisation, such as the fact that the black market still exists. I was wondering, why decriminalisation for Ireland? Why not further and potentially regulate? Okay, um, well, I think uh, legalisation, uh, the regulation and control of, of, of all drugs uh, to be used amongst the population is would be a quantum leap for Ireland. And I don't even think that it's, you know, it would, it would be very complicated. It would take a long time. Um, and, uh, and I think that actually, if you like, the low-hanging fruit here is the idea of decriminalisation of drugs, where, whereby it is within the, the gift of the Irish government to decide how we respond to the possession of drugs for personal use. When I was in Portugal recently, I was talking to people who, who uh, implement uh, their policy there and, you know, some people have said to me, oh, you know, decriminalisation is just a stepping stone to legalisation. You want people to be able to take more drugs. That isn't the truth. I'm a harm reductionist. You know, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not what I'm about. But, but it is, uh, it, when I asked them in Portugal, I said, you know, what, what's the story here? Uh, what's the next step? And there is no next step. They are, they are happy with their model. Okay, they are happy with the outcomes of what they're delivering, of the, uh, their, their overdose deaths coming down, of people not going to prison for, possess, for simple possession, uh, not getting criminal records and messing up their lives later when they can't get a job and, 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 or can't travel internationally. You know, so, so it, is, um, it is considered over there for the people I spoke with to be working, to be effective. And I think that we can achieve that in Ireland sooner rather than later. And I think that's, that's why we're going for the health-led response to decriminalisation piece. Perfect, thank you. And what is Ireland's aim with decriminalisation? For example, with supervised injection facilities, you had a timeline of five years. Is this similar with decriminalisation? When do you hope that it will come into fruition? Yeah, um, so, so when we wrote our, our, the Analyphys strategic plan for... for uh, the next three years, uh, we, we put in that we would like to see, you know, a health-led response for the possession of small amounts of drugs uh, by 2022. And our work uh, is to engage with uh, the public um, and uh, and inform them of, of what it is 
when we talk about decriminalisation and these some of these confusing terms uh, and what a health-led response to, to, to the possession of drugs is and what it will mean for people. So, so yeah, so we've, we're, we're doing what we did before, which is really the model of um, reaching out for help when we, when we need it, um, speaking to the media, uh, both the social media and traditional media, um, getting the evidence together, as I mentioned before, um, yeah, and, and just engaging with people. Uh, so, so we're really looking forward to it. Great, and I thank you for your work with Anna Liffey. I think that is a very positive note to end on, so we'll end here. But is there anything else you would like to add or plug? No, I'll take the opportunity to ask people to um, uh, visit safe, um, saferfromharm.ie. We're calling this uh, our campaign Safer From Harm, um, and the hashtag uh, Safer From Harm is being used across social media. So if people are interested, uh, I'd encourage them to, to follow that hashtag or to uh, or to visit saferfromharm.ie. Uh, we're gonna we have a newsletter. We're gonna be uh, sending out to people. They can sign up to it there. So I hope I hope that's not too opportunistic. Uh, uh, it's just something I'd like to get people to engage with. Thank you. And that was the interview with Tony Duffin. I hope you enjoyed and weren't too disappointed with the lack of an Irish accent. Check out Anna Liffey online, follow them on Twitter, and follow us on Twitter while you're at it. See you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.